0: Welcome to Narratives and Nightcaps, the book club podcast where we dive into the details of a very sad novel, pair it with a fitting nightcap, and then leave a little review when all is said and done. I'm Bree, and I am already teary-eyed.
1: <laughs> I'm Megan, and I think I will be as
0: soon as we start talking about it. <laughs> so, we'll, I guess we'll get to that in just a second, but to drown our sorrows... What are we drinking to pair with part four of The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna?
1: Part four is uh, still the same beverage as parts one through three. We're still drinking the old French 75. Um, As I've said before, it's essentially a spiked champagne. Um, So you got your gin, simple syrup, lemon, and top it off with champagne back in my fancy glass again. Love Uh, it but cheers to trying to make it through these chapters because it's going to be really hard.
0: (laughs) Cheers. I'm going to cry and might uncomfortably laugh through that um, because that's just sometimes (laughs) how I process sadness. (laughs) (laughs) I'm already laughing to try to hide it. (laughs) Um, Try not to cry. So, yeah, cheers. Cheers. Could have
1: gone a little harder on my uh, simple syrup there. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Nothing like that to either drown your emotions or heighten
0: them. We'll see what happens. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. Um, Yeah. We will get to it. But as we said, this is part four. So we are reading chapters 32 through the end of The Nightingale, um, which I guess we should mention that. This was also, by the time this episode comes out or any of these episodes come out, this was also on Reese Witherspoon's book club. So I'd imagine a lot of other people have now read this, given the attention that she brought to it and have probably also cried their way through it with us. Um, So forewarning, I fully, this was my fourth time reading the book and I fully sobbed for the fourth time. Um, so hard that I couldn't see the pages and that's okay. <laughs> and then I also cried again when I wrote my notes. So there's really no guarantee that I'm going to make it through this without tears. Uh-oh. Um, you know, it just is what it is and, uh, if we try to bring some levity to that, don't email us because <laughs> it is what it is.
1: Yeah. We're, I think, you know, as hard as these next chapters are going to be. I do think it's still important to laugh a little bit. Um, maybe make make light of some things if we can. If we find a space to do it, it might be really, really hard. But obviously, like it's a book club. I don't want to make this like the sobbing, weeping club. Like it will be, but hopefully, yeah. <laughs> hopefully, we can just um, add a little bit of laughing moments as needed without being disrespectful. Yes, that's the main point. Also shout out Reese's Book Club, March pick the Nightingale.
0: Woo. Solid pick, solid pick.
1: I'm um, wondering now because Reese's um, company is also a production company for major films. If perhaps this will get picked back up again. To go back into filming because remember it's been stalled since 2020 since or maybe even slightly before that so since the pandemic there's been nothing really going on so i'd be curious to see if um her picking this up will also bring back some of that um production aspect
0: so true i didn't even think about that but oh uh, wouldn't that be just a lovely little surprise to find out at the end of the month oh i would be so happy see,
1: then okay so like speculating obviously knowing that would she keep the same cast that had probably already signed on with the film or would she be like hey no it's new you know production new backing for this movie i want to pick someone totally different
0: i don't know I guess it would depend on maybe how far they got into casting for the True. original and like schedules too for the Fanning sisters, but everything I read only talked about the Fanning sisters being cast. Like, so it's not that to say that they hadn't cast other people right. for the other roles, but that being said, if they didn't, I could see them sort of starting over. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Much to think about. So we'll that have to amazing, see what happens. Amazing news. Manifest it, make it happen. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Well, before we get into part four, let's do a very uh high-level thirty-thousand feet view of what happened so far in the nightingale. So we have two sisters who are our main characters, Isabel and Rosignol, Isabel Rosignol, sorry, and Vian Mariac, who are surviving World War II in France in their very own ways. Isabel and her friends, including the guy that she loves named Gaetan, have established this network to get downed airmen out of France. They cross the Pyrenees Mountains to get into Spain in hopes of getting them back to the UK or wherever they're from. And Isabel is doing all of this under a new identity of Juliet Cervaise, codename, the Nightingale. I want to mention too that their father Julian is also a part of this network. They've had they had a very um, strained relationship with him growing up, but he has been working in the background as a part of this network and does know what Isabel is doing. Vienne lives in Karivo, and she has taken a Jewish boy, Ari, now named Daniel. He is the son of her best friend, Rachel, and is living with them in their house after Rachel was sent off to a camp. And this is something that Captain Beck, the German soldier, knew and helped her with to get him identity papers and everything. One day, Isabelle's plan, her networking, takes her to their family's barn, which Captain Beck finds her with an airman she's obviously not supposed to have, and he is killed when she shoots him. Isabel is also shot in this exchange, and Gaetan takes her to a safe house to recover. Meanwhile, with Captain Beck's Death, but he's sort of reported as missing because they don't want Vian to be questioned. Um, a much meaner German man moves in. His name, his last name is von Richter. And while he's in their house, Vian is also now helping other Jewish children get to an orphanage with new identities. Fast forward to 1995. We've known throughout the novel that an elderly woman is on her way to Paris for a reunion of sorts with her son named Julian. This is stirring up all sorts of memories, many of them being painful about World War II and her loved ones from that time. Her son has been uh, very unaware of anything that she went through, but is of course quite curious as to what and when his mother will tell her story. All right, I think that about sums it up. Yeah, that was a great (laughs) summary. Thanks. So, through the end of the book, um, massive, massive trigger warning. You've likely already read it at this point if you are at all listening to this, but we are, of course, going to be talking in this episode about rape, um, the Holocaust, which we've already been touching on because it is a World War II novel, but it is gets especially um, horrific in this section. Also, I would say having to give up a child, if that is at all um, triggering for you, and then just honestly, like overall intense sadness, if that is a trigger, I don't really know what to say, Um, but it is extremely difficult to read and talk about. Yes. Um, I,
1: I said I'm going to say it in my review but I specifically say like the this final section especially I mean this whole book for real but like this final section especially is just not really for the faint of heart um, there is a a lot a lot a lot of very intense sadness that occurs that I think is probably extremely relevant for wartime anywhere. But it's just, it's so intense to read it in such a compact way throughout the novel where you see everything from every perspective happening to everyone. So just tread lightly. Um, Maybe don't listen if this is too much.
0: Maybe don't read it. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe don't. I mean, if it's especially triggering for you, but I will also say, I think it's important to, even though this is a fictional novel, it's these are all, like, very real things that people went through yes, in this war and in others. And I do think it's important when you're in a certain mental state to stay educated and be aware of that. Three, so You're here. Well said. Look at <laughs> thank you. you. Thank you. But all that said, like, when I did finish this, I mean, <laughs> for the fourth time, my husband who said, you've already read it. You knew it was going to happen as (laughs) I was laying in the fetal position and saying, I am not well, (laughs) and I can't believe this was real. So yes, (laughs) here we go. Okay. Chapter 32. It's May 1944. The Nazis at this point have occupied all of France for 18 months, and conditions are horrible they are dire people are starving there's no electricity and they are being killed or sent to camps for the smallest of things um and it's
1: not just it's not just jews at this point either no like this is
0: like regular old french citizens yep i mean thousands and thousands of jewish people obviously including children have all been sent to concentration camps but like french citizens all it would take is one person to give the smallest whisper saying oh i think that megan like might have picked up a piece of anti-war propaganda or anti-german propaganda and like that would get you sent off yeah um it's it's really bad to put it so simply and so isabelle is trying to stay invisible on the streets of paris that's basically how it anyone tries to get by is like don't just don't be seen and then she runs into her father and the book talks about how just how much he's aged in his appearance over the past couple of years I really think that they all have there's there's some indicator for just about every main character about how impactful the the war has been on their appearance and so they run into each other and he warned warns her that he overheard the Nazis talking about the Nightingale in a meeting, obviously being her. Um, They've been looking for her because she's been so successful in her trips across the mountains, and her father thinks that she should probably take a break for a bit. When they do go their separate ways, which she sort of says she's not going to take a break, there is just this indescribable sadness because every meeting that they have with any person is a meeting that you don't know if it's going to be the last time that you're going to see that person um which i just can't even imagine um having to look at like your father or your mother or your friend or your sister or your child and think i might not ever see them again yeah god damn it brie i don't want to cry right now (laughs) sorry sorry i'll try to do it okay um so at midnight, Isabel's hiding in the dark, waiting for Guy. They hadn't seen each other in eight months. So they're, all of their meetings are just these like quick get-together, but then someone has to run off. So together, they walk into the woods where he's been living with the other guerrilla fighters until they get to his tent. And like I said, they're, like every other reunion, this one is also cut very short because she gives him a message that she's also been asked to pass along and he has to leave right away, but he tells her that he'll find her soon. In the past 18 months in Caribo Vienne found 13 children in the countryside or when a mother would just show up and ask her for help and say, please take my child. And so on this day, she's at her teaching position where she also hides all these children. When Von Richter shows up. he pulls her out of the room and questions her about Henri and how she's acquainted with him because he had been arrested and he threatens that he will get her to tell the truth, even if it means questioning her children, which she begs him not to do. The The
1: closest part of this, and I think it might come up later, but this guy is so sinister and so evil and so disgusting that like during this part, I think it's described that like, He gets turned on by her weakness of like her not wanting him to speak or touch or look at her children, obviously, to protect them. But it's like that that kind of pleading, begging, like have mercy on my family, like turns him on sexually, which then obviously goes a very dark place. But it's just like this. I mean, just to give you a better picture of how just disgusting this person is, especially compared to Beck. Who oh my god! Not
0: do that <laughs> no he is truly awful and Vienne is trying to stay so strong in every encounter with him but and it seems like he's been trying to drag out of her what's going to make her show that fear because she yeah. tries to stay really strong and he knows it the second that he brings up the children and she flips and she recognizes it too you know I just gave him what he wanted yeah how can you not In a little, in a small room, a little while later, she had to wait for Von Richter to show up again, asking her about Henri. And she keeps telling him, you know, like, oh, he just works at the hotel. You know, we have no other relationship. But as we know, Henri was the one that was actually helping her with the false papers for the identities for the children. So she's trying to play it off like they have no relationship he says and that I think in
1: a sense, sorry to interrupt you again, but
0: like, I think in a sense
1: too, it's kind of like, well, everyone knows him. He's the hotel. He's the innkeeper. Like everyone knows
0: who Henri is. It's not just me. I don't have a personal relationship with him or anything like that. Yeah. The hiding in plain sight thing is really, I mean, obviously didn't work out super well for Henri, but for it did for a long time. It's been yeah. like a few years that he's just been right under their noses. So I don't think we ever find out not that it was like necessary but it would have been interesting to know who or how they did find him or find out yeah, what he was
1: doing. I think I mean we find out his ending sadly. we do and it's brief but yeah I don't know how he got like ratted out like who told on him or like if he maybe slipped somehow or if an officer like has been on to him this whole time and was just waiting for the right moment. Yeah, like we don't really know what happened to get him to this point.
0: Yeah, and it. But knowing that information, knowing that Henri has been captured, cannot bode well for others. Right. Because Henri isn't he also like low key in the
1: network with is. Isabel as well. Yeah. So Isabel. This guy and is connected.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Paul. OK, so Von Richter tells Vienne that he will hurt her if she's lying, um, but that he won't in that. He'll, he's like, oh, so spare your children if you just tell me the truth. She doesn't crack. And when he sends her home, he tells her, quote, pray, I do not discover that you have lied to me, end quote. But also on the just the disgusting note of this fictional man, but probably very representative of.
1: Some
0: woman at the time. Yes. Um. He says that he's like I'd. He basically says I'd love to find out. You know that you lied to me to like make it even more painful or something along yeah. those lines. It's like just so it's sadistic, just disgusting. Look. Meanwhile, Isabel is headed to Madame Babino's house for her next mission across the mountains with more airmen, and as they're catching up, when she gets there, an unexpected car pulls up. And SS agents storm into the house. Isabel is hit and hears that they are all being arrested just before she passes out.
1: Gosh, I just feel like that happened so quickly. Like everything was going so well for everyone. And then all of a sudden, VN is getting questioned. Isabel is found out. Like clearly, one of their safe houses has been infil- inf- infiltrated. What's the right word? Infiltrated? <laughs> 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 like, I'm just, I, I feel like everything just very, very, very quickly crumbled. And again, like, how did the SS find out? Who tipped them off? Where did this come from?
0: I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know that we ever find out any of this, uh, that, that piece of it. I think we just know that they are, you know, found guilty
1: of their crimes. And then God knows what happens from there. Yeah.
0: We know what happens, but we know. <laughs> okay. Chapter 33. When Isabel woke up, she had been tied to a chair and a Gestapo officer hit her. And she's just thinking in this time how their agreement in the network had always been if you get captured just last two days. And so that's what she's thinking about is, okay, I just have to last two days. Everyone else will be able to get away. They'll be able to hide. I just have to last two days. The officer asks her who she is, not believing her to be Juliette Gervais. He tells her, quote, you work for the Nightingale. I want his name, end quote. So there's not a lot of good things to see in this instance, but they don't know who she is, which is good. Yes. Um, not that it's a great situation at all to be in, but they don't know who she is. They begin to beat her extremely hard even kicking her to the floor and then kicking her while she's on the floor strapped to the chair when she woke up next she was still tied at her wrists and ankles in complete darkness and she thinks she's been put inside of a box when she's- I
1: first read that I was like she's been buried alive like that's what they yeah. did they they stripped her clothes and put her
0: in in a grave but Oh, when it talks about her scream in the box. Okay. She <laughs> is also freezing and ultimately realizes that this box is actually a refrigerator. And yeah, as Megan said, she's naked too. So she's like, I'm going to freeze to death. I am not going to make it. Holy cow. And she's thinking about everyone she loves while she's doing this. Sophie, her father, I and Vian. Speaking of Vienne, she is walking in town and this is so disturbing, but I just, for all that I cut out, I felt like I still needed to somewhat capture the horrors that these people were experiencing. And so Vienn's walking in town and bodies are just hanging from street lamps. Another, to me, this was another like
1: Handmaid's Tale visual,
0: like a oh stadium no.
1: thing, but now this is like, cause you know. In the Handmaid's Tale, they would, like, hang them by the river, just like, hey, here's the wall, wall of shame. shame. Yeah. This is, this is fucked up. Also, for <laughs> really
0: minor infractions. Yes. Uh, yes. So, it's also, like, the talk of the down. People are talking about what's happening in other places. Um, I'm not going to get into all of those, but if you read it, you'll know that there are descriptions of horrible things that happen in other towns. And so obviously that is the gossip. It's not even gossip, like that's all true, but it's what people are talking about. Yeah. Shockingly, Vian's father comes up to her and needs to speak with her immediately. They go to meet at Rachel's house to speak privately. And at first, Julian begins to mention his he has regrets when it comes to raising his daughters but then quickly gets to the real point of why he's there which is that Isabel was arrested like it's like he has so much that he wants to unload and he obviously knows that he's getting to a point where he doesn't have much time to maybe get that off of his chest and ask for forgiveness or apologize for their past but he's also like Okay, but I can't, but I don't have time still. Yes. <laughs> and I've got to let me tell you what's going on. Yes. Vian asks what they should do. And her father tells her there's no, quote, we, that is going to do anything. She is going to stay right where she's at in Carrivo and be there for Isabel when the war is over, is what he tells her. And with everything that he is saying, Vian realizes that he is saying goodbye and he hands her a letter. She tells her to read with Isabel when they're together. When Vianne went home, she stopped to add another piece of cloth to her tree. So it's her remembrance tree for her, now her father, Rachel, Antoine, Sarah, and Beck. She's, so then she went inside where Von Richter was waiting. And he starts to question her about Daniel, AKA Ari and ultimately asks her what she's willing to do to ensure he stays. And she tells him anything. So he pulled her into the bedroom after she asked to go to the bedroom because he wanted to rape her just out there. And she was like, wanted to do it away from the kids. So he pulls her into the bedroom and raped her, which was their deal to keep Daniel at the house. Uh, So it begins. Oh, this is
1: just like he's so so awful. Like, I don't even know what else to say. I mean, I and like we've been saying, I'm sure again, fictional people, but I am sure I am certain that this was the norm in any occupied area period like any time that you have someone taking over they are taking your food your women your children like that's just what happens like you hear about this even from Mesopotamia like shit like
0: that happened all the time I mean like I mean it makes me think too of Russia and Ukraine right now and like it is just so incredibly disgusting Um, it, I, like, Kristen, Hannah, please tell, did you sob, like, while you wrote the next Like, how do you not, how do you stay passive when you're writing
1: something like this? I just don't know how.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Like, crumbled my heart into a million pieces.
1: I know. And I, like, and again, like, all, the only thing she asks is to spare the children. Like, I don't want them to see this. I don't want them to hear this. It's like I know what I have to do to keep them safe, but they don't need to bear witness to this, which again, like that's just a mom's love right there, I think. I mean, I feel like that takes a very strong person to realize that this is what's going to happen and not accept it, but do it in a way that is still saving a little bit of dignity in a sense.
0: No, I think it is really strong. It's exactly what I was going to say.
1: I mean, and it sucks. Like, who says, oh, the woman that's getting raped is a strong woman, but like, I, she knew it was going to happen, which doesn't make it okay, but it's just, it's the only way. It's the only outcome that there could be, otherwise she'd be dead, and then who would care for her children? Right. Ari would be deported, and Sophie would probably fall victim to
0: him anyway. Right, because he's made comments about her being so pretty, too, which is... Well, and
1: I think even Kristen Hanna kind of mentions, like, she's growing up, you know, like, she, it's wartime, but she is, like, hitting that puberty where she's turning into... She's not just a little girl anymore. She's turning into a woman and, and things like that. So it's it's definitely noted by the author, too, in her description. So, yeah, the fact that... I mean, if, if VN wasn't there, I guarantee it would be Sophie. Yeah. Which is just as sickening, considering she's, like... Fourteen, if that. She's a child. Yeah. Well,
0: hate him. I know. (laughs) Thirty-four. So tortured, battered, and struggling to know what day it is, Isabel is continuously being beaten by these men, and I hate this because she's. She's trying to think, okay, how long have I been here? She's constantly thinking about the other people, but she has no idea. She's like, I don't know if it's been a day. I don't, has it been two days? It must have been two days, but she can't tell. Finally, they just throw a dress at her and tell her to put it on. And then they say a few last things about the nightingale and more statements about her being Juliet. Like, it's like they're questioning her, but they're just making statements at her. Right, like, oh, you're Juliet, right? Okay, well, here, here's your identity card back or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and then they basically say, all right, done with you. And her father comes in handcuffed. <sighs> okay. <sighs> yeah, it's okay, breathe. We're going to get through it. <laughs> okay. this, oh, man, okay. It's,
1: Tell our listeners what's happening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you look... If you're reading it too, you look and you're like, whoa, I don't have that much left.
1: I know, I know. So you're like, how bad can things really get?
0: (laughs) They can get real bad. They can. They can. Her father tells them that he is the nightingale. And Isabel quickly says, no, 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 no. It's actually me. But they don't believe that a girl could be the nightingale. And so she is thrown into a cell but has to watch as her father is taken out to a town square. And as a firing squad prepared to shoot, he mouthed to Isabel that he loved her. No. <laughs> I, oh. I said that in like the kind like the least, I don't know.
1: There's no way to
0: like get around it. <laughs>
1: Oh gosh! Oh. So like, I think the problem is I am just, especially with books, for whatever reason, I just get really empathetic and immediately I'm like, oh my god, what if it was my dad? And then of course I'm like, it's my dad, I'm crying, and like, I just need to not do that. <laughs> oh no,
0: okay, it's okay. We we all do it. We all do yep. it. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> all right, so. In pain, back in Carivo, um, Vienne gets out of bed and, quote from the book, she wanted to kill him, she wanted to kill herself, end quote. She feels like such immense, a range of emotions from shame to sadness to anger because of the rape, but... She just tells Sophie, hey, I have to run an errand because she has something else that she needs to do, despite the fact that she has her own battle to deal with. So she took the train to the town that had imprisoned Isabel. And when she got there, she found her father's body. Um, They just left it in the town square. Isabel had spent the night in that cell when a German woman pulls up and pulls her out. She being Isabel, sees VN there, and Vienne says that she's there to help, but Isabel tells her to leave. And I think even notions to their father, like, hey, he tried to help too, and that's what happens when you try to help me. So just let me go. Would they have even let her go? I don't think so. Well, that's what I, I do, because like even
1: Vienne, who's like clearly gesturing like, "Hi, I'm here. Let me help you." I, I feel like the Germans just ignored her. Like, get out of here, you French <laughs>
0: This, Yeah, this whole part, I mean, I also, I was kind of like, what does VN think she's, does VN think they're just going to let her go? Right. Like, what is she, I mean, I know why she's going there, but what exactly is her plan of action with this? And And we don't really know. And then I don't even know that there's much that's like, we just know what happens with Isabel next. Like, Vienn just goes home. She, yeah, just gets back on the train and goes home. But, like,
1: yeah, to your point, I just wonder, I mean, what was what was her intention? Was she just going to bring her back home to Carryvo and be like, hey, just chill here till the war is over? I doubt the Germans would have been okay with that, considering they just questioned her as if she were a prisoner of war, pretty much.
0: So, Von Richter's not going to let her into the house. He's no, already sure. picked about the number of people living there. Um, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Isabel thought that she was also being taken out to be executed, but is instead taken to a truck, which drives her to a set of cattle cars. It is crammed with women and children, but she does see a friendly face, Madame Babineau. She tells her that she can call her Michelin now. Is that how you would say that? Yeah. Michelin star. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Micheline? I don't think it's Micheline. Micheline. I feel like I
1: feel like probably with a French accent it sounds prettier. <laughs> but mm-hmm. because
0: we're American. <laughs> there it is. It <laughs> sound pretty. <laughs> Sorry. And so Michelin like assesses Isabelle's appearance, which having been tortured for days is not great. Isabel tells her who she really is too. And Michelin says she knew all along. So she knew because Madame Babineau had been friends with her, with Isabel's mom and dad. And she knew all along that that's who she was. I also love that she
1: even goes, I mean, we kind of already knew this, but like, she's like, I knew Julian before he was in the war and like what kind of a man he was and how much he loved you and how much he loved your mom and all of that stuff. So I'm sure... I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm sure it's, it probably felt good to hear of yeah. someone that knew her family from the past
0: too, right? Which those are the memories too that I don't know that Isabel has a lot of, right. Right? and has a few more. Mm-hmm. So when the train finally stopped, SS officers yelled at everyone to get off and get in line. People are just being whipped. To form some semblance of a line, as they look past barbed wire and see thousands of other women described like ghosts. All of the women were shaved from head to toe before being pushed into a shower that Isabel believes will kill them because I believed it too. I was like, oh, "Shit, she's she's done sick. now." Yeah, and well, you know, we've talked a little a little bit about how the other women or people being taken. Well, one, they trusted the French and never expected this. But in her line of work, I'll say, she's heard stories from MI9 and I'm sure lots of other people because she's sort of on this, like, inside. Mm -hmm. And so she is expecting that she's going to die in the shower. But she doesn't. It's just cold water and then they're given a dress some dirty underwear shoes that may or may not fit and likely don't and all she thinks is quote stay alive
1: man another just like whirlwind of a chapter like everything just happened so fast I mean it didn't but it it did like she was obviously Beaten, questioned, all of that for days, and then it's like, oh yeah, okay, and now you're off to the concentration camps.
0: See ya. Like what? (laughs) No, there. So much happens, and it does. It happens so quickly, and these chapters will be like, and then months went by. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay, chapter thirty-five. It's August, Vienna tries to sneak out of bed while von Richter snores next to her. Like she is surviving and in doing so, she really keeps tabs on his moods to know when she needs to send her kids into another room before she goes to him. He has only gotten meaner as the allies have really progressed and the Germans lose. And we're gonna. I think I mentioned it more, but that's basically happening happening everywhere. The Germans are getting a lot meaner because they're losing the war. As if they couldn't get worse, they do. Yeah. VN tries to wash off, like, be from being with him when Sophie is waiting there for her, and Sophie is just so angry. It kind of seems like she's angry with VN for what is happening and also for trying to hide it and Sophie says like I'm not a kid I know I know what's going on and she really questions Vien about how she could even do this and Vien tells her quote that's my war my interpretation but I don't think it's like I don't think it's off it Sophie just doesn't understand the position that she's in as a mother to keep them safe and she will like we said she's literally doing everything to just make sure that the attention is not on her kids and but she can't not do that um because if she wasn't there then something worse would happen to them and they both agree that they'd they'd love to kill him but like that's not an option either because and i think vn is the one that kind of yells at sophie and says hey like beck already went missing what do you think would happen if a second one when, there's no there's no other chance. You know, they're not going to come to us and be like, oh, wow, another officer? Hmm. Well, and I think von
1: Richter, too, is even higher ranking than Beck, where, like, people would notice and people would question, like, oh, how strange that two ranking German officers go missing from the same house? Hmm. Seems a little suspicious, don't you think? So, oh, yeah. Whether they would really... have proof, that yeah. would be done so. Yeah, there's no, they have no chance, which is, I just, I get so frustrated with Sophie because I remember even from earlier chapters when she was like, mom, you're not doing anything with the war. Like Isabel's doing everything. She's the one really showing her patriotism for France and fighting for France. What are you doing? And it's like the same battle all over again with her daughter of just, she's feeling like now, okay, well, mom, you're doing something, but it's disgusting. And I'm not a kid. So why are you doing this? Don't you love dad? And it's like, um, well, bitch, I'm trying to keep us all alive here.
0: <laughs> yeah. I frustrated with her too, but then I'm also saying to myself, okay, but it it seems kind of accurate that yes. it, and grow. She's grown up in an impossible situation, and I, don't, I do Sorry, okay. go ahead. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. Uh, I was just, It just kind of made me segue into this, and I don't think I put it in my notes too, but I thought it was interesting. I don't remember what chapter it is when um, Kristen Hanna talks about the difference between Daniel and Sophie, Sophie being someone that remembers before the war and Daniel not. He doesn't know what he's missing out on because this is all he's ever known. Yeah, and same with the other kids when th- they talk about... Um, walking to go swim one day and everything is just ruins around them. And it's, you sort of think like, do they just think that this is normal, that right, this is what it's supposed to look like? Well, a parallel that I can make to that is
1: um, COVID babies who only knew like wearing a mask and they don't remember, didn't remember a time before that. I had a previous coworker who said, um, you know, his, his children were young enough that they, I think they were in either a daycare program or like er- very early preschool type of thing. But they are so used to like looking for hand sanitizer stations and wearing a mask everywhere they went and, you know, always keeping your distance that like when that stopped being a thing, they were like, whoa, what? Like we don't have to constantly keep our faces covered. This is okay. Like they were like freaked out by it, which is crazy to wow. think. Wow. So that's
0: interesting. I mean, also yeah. I'm to you about like, not real, real life, but the last of us and the people born um, after the this apocalypse, apocalypse, if you will. Yes. Um, <laughs> the, infection. the infection, the um, infection is really interesting. Like, um, why can't I think of her name? I can only think of like her real name right now. Ellie ellie when they get in the car and she's like it's like a spaceship yeah like actually it's really old car (laughs) actually that's a very it's an antique (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, so vienna goes to teach one day and decides to take the kids for a swim and she's talking with the mother superior about really daniel's attachment to her um like at this point, he does view Vn as his mom. It doesn't really seem like he has any memory of Rachel, which is what they wanted. Like, this is exactly what they wanted to happen. It is a good thing. And then suddenly, Vienne has to rush away to dry heave into the bushes. It's the second time in so many days that she's gotten sick, and she might be pregnant. Uh. I don't know what that means. Uh, yeah. Okay. Lost in thought a few days later, as in Vienna, who is like, oh my gosh, am I pregnant and I'm going to have this awful man's child? Sophie rushes in to get Vienna because the church bells are ringing and Nazis are marching down the road. Von Richter pulls up and says they'll be leaving, but not before telling Vienna, quote, I'll forget you. I wonder if you can say the same, end quote.
1: Like just a vile, vile man. Just yes. like really, you're just kicking people while they're down really is what he's doing. Just an asshole.
0: <laughs> oh, he's so evil and gross. Another month passes with more allied victories and Vienne is really constantly searching for answers about Antoine, Rachel, Mark, Isabel. Vienne leaves to walk one day when she sees antoine in the distance he escaped the prison that he was in when they get home sophie rushes to him and says they shouldn't ever talk about the war or what happened and there's this quote in the book that says sophie wanted Vienne to lie end quote but i was like is that Vienne's thought is that just kristin hannah telling us that yeah um But either way, it's another point where I'm frustrated with Sophie because I'm like, really, girl, you know, I don't I get she's extremely traumatized by everything that they've been been there and just wants the past to be the past. And let's not even bring it up. I do feel like, though, to an extent,
1: to me, that just shows still how much of a child she is like. She doesn't understand that her father and her mom are like literally going through PTSD and like have been traumatized by the events that unfolded like she can she feels that she can easily bounce back leave the past in the past and I'm one to kind of doubt that like I'm sure that she'll still have nightmares especially if she walked throughout town and saw like bodies hanging or the fact that her freaking BFF next door got shot in the chest, you know, things like that, I think will still haunt her. But I just, I feel that she genuinely does not understand what the repercussions and, you know, the, the postpartum, if you will, of wartime looks yeah. like, whereas VN has already gone through that as a child and understands how people might need to cope when they've gone through something so traumatic like that
0: right and how people change to yes because of all of that yes antoine also asks who daniel is and daniel sort of replies with the same question and when antoine says well i'm sophie's dad daniel immediately rushes to him and calls him papa Oh, so... that's who he thinks he is yeah So much time has passed, though, and Vien and Antoine are basically strangers. I mean, they haven't seen each other in years, and a lot has happened, but they're trying to resume normal interactions. He starts to tell her how he decided to run away from the camp, which, again, was also getting much worse because the Germans were losing the war, and he had Decided that staying and being tortured was a fate worse than death. So, gonna go for it. Yeah. And Vienne starts to try to tell him what happened at the house, as like they kiss and he is taking her clothes off, and she's afraid, like not of him hitting her, but more of how he'll n- feel knowing that she was raped, and obviously for the like the baby yeah. so he asks her if they quote need to talk about it and she gives this like very shortened version i i imagine it just being rattled off so quickly and then sort of ends on that they can forget the past and move yes. forward
1: but i i don't think that she told him the rape no, she I didn't. think she was just like, Rachel was sent to concentration camp. These two German soldiers have lived here. Like this is the shit that went down in town and resume, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, it, oh, it's this very brief um, description of it, and nothing serious. Yeah, yeah, yes. it makes it sound like nothing actually happened. Um, so, which is two scary. months later?
1: Why? <laughs> I said that's just insane. Like everything happened, and she's just like, "Oh, I'm
0: not done." <laughs> uh, well, and it really like I'm probably gonna get to it. It's it makes me so sad for her that she just feels so much shame. And but he is a stranger to her, and she just talks about like feeling nothing when the last time that she was intimately touched that way was in an abusive way. Yes, and. That would just be so traumatizing in its own way. For sure. It just makes me really sad. For Two months later, Fian has to tell Antoine that she is pregnant. She is starting to show, kind of. But she's been so small because they haven't had any food that it takes a while. But she's like, I've got to tell him. And so she decides to say that it must have happened the first night that he got back. And, and I think even in the book, she was like, babies are born early
1: all the time. We'll just say that this baby's a month early and then it's Antoine's, not a big deal.
0: Yep. And a range of emotions sort of seem to pass for him, but he kind of settles on joy. And even Vian seem, seems unsure of whether or not he's suspicious of anything, but he looks at all of this as their, quote, new beginning. I mean, I feel like that's, the best
1: outcome you can hope for in that type of situation. The fact that he's not prying, asking questions like, are you sure? Are you sure it's mine? You know, things like that. I mean, I think, especially with their past of knowing that they've lost children before, I'm glad that he's like, you know what, this is, this is a good thing. This is, this is us back together as a family. We can do this. We can all move forward through the, through the post-war time, and and we'll just be a happy family once again.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I struggled with this part a lot because, on one hand, I was so frustrated with her for not saying anything. Like, I was like, just tell him what happened. Like, tell him what happened. He'll be understanding. But then I also think she's taking into consideration all that he went through. Also, the time period, I don't know that. Even though Antoine does not seem like a bad guy by any means, I just don't know that men were like quite as understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say though, on the reverse of that, he
1: did seem very accepting of like Ari not being his yeah. son. So maybe, I, and I can't say this of all men, but at least Antoine seemed
0: like maybe he would be a little more receptive. But
1: I, that's mean, how I can't guarantee him. that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's how I picture him. And that's why for a long time I was really frustrated because I just wanted her to tell the truth. I was like, tell right. him what happened.
1: He's gonna but I do agree, him. like nineteen forties housewife era, I don't think was necessarily the best um with or without the war, the best time to like suddenly have your husband questioning whether or not that pregnancy
0: is legitimately his. <laughs> Chapter 36. It's February 1945. Isabel is standing at roll call call in the freezing cold while snow is falling on all of them, including the dead bodies that are just out there. Isabel is pulled from the line with Michelin to start walking to a new location and when they get there, all of the women are just strapped together in these harnesses and they are told that they have to move this steel wheel, which is described as being the size of a vehicle. And they try to move, but I mean, they they can't, like they're all so weak and or sick and i mean don't have shoes on or have one shoe on and it's cold and they have frostbite it's just so bad but they're being whipped when they don't move and so they slowly try to take it step by step isabel is one of the people that is very sick at this point she's been fighting a fever for weeks she weighs next to nothing and has sores like all over her body from bugs and being beaten by March, they are, the Germans, are killing and beating hundreds of women regularly. Michelin and Isabel encourage each other to hold on, and their thing is don't cry. Like, you can't cry because if you cry, those are the women that tend to die shortly afterwards. So you just can't cry, and they keep telling each other, just stay alive, and Everyone can also tell that it's really only a matter of time before the war ends. Like they know that they just have to hang on. Shortly after Michelin and Isabel are being dragged off to another camp, they walked for two days, more than 30 miles until they're thrown into cattle cars. Again, Isabel is so sick, coughing up blood, and then they reach this other camp. As they walk up, Isabel hears someone say the name Juliet. And she, it takes her a second to process this and realize that that's her because she's so ill and they've been through so much. Like for a second, she doesn't even recognize it. And then she does and sees a nook. And I think part of that too is like they're so used to
1: being called their numbers, you know? I mean, concentration camps you don't have a name anymore your identity is stripped from you you're just whatever number is assigned to you so I think that's part of why she was like whoa someone's hello someone's saying my name that was my name at one point
0: (laughs) part of that shock you know Anuk tells her that they are just killing so many people to cover up what they've done and (laughs) I don't even know what to say. Isabel asks about the others, Henri, Paul, and Gaetan, and Anouk tells her that everyone was arrested and Henri was hanged.
1: It's kind of crazy how, like, I mean, word must have traveled pretty quickly then to what happened, you know, with Henri throughout their network. Because, yeah. I mean, how else would you have known? I, I feel like at one point we just knew that VN was being questioned by him, but clearly, like, others must have been made aware of what
0: went down. Yeah. Chapter 37. Vienne, Antoine, and Sophie go to Paris where crowds and crowds of people are searching for missing loved ones. A local hotel is now a place for people returning from concentration camps. When Vienne talks to a Red Cross worker, she tells that person who she's looking for and that she has several Jewish children in Caribou. When she mentions the children she's taken to see another man and she repeats the story about how she has these children and she's quick to dismiss it and say, you know, I know it's not a lot, but the man is like, hold on. No, you saved 19 kids who would have died. Uh, that just gave me goosebumps. Like, oh, uh, I just, I mean, it's just so
1: crazy that like, not that she's humbled, but like that she really thinks that that was nothing. I mean, I, you just saved, you saved people that would have died. That would have been, you 100. know, the, I mean, it's just crazy. It's crazy that she just doesn't think that that was enough.
0: They want to reunite them, but the man tells her it's more than likely that the children are truly orphans now. And a worker finally comes up to them with news that Rachel and Mark died and that they can't find anyone by the name of Isabel Rosignol. Because her papers on her said she was Juliet Gervais. Vianne doesn't know that. Um, we also, we learned that Rachel like only lasted a month when she got to the camp before she was killed. Vianne tells Sophie that Daniel is quote, truly your brother, unquote now, and that the baby will be too, Um, completely innocent of how he or she was Bane. And because Vianne can sense that Sophie is not totally on board with this baby and I do like the Vian- like it when Vianna tells her you know like there are going to be hard days for e- both of us and we'll be there for each other on those hard days we'll help each other get through it. Back at the concentration camp there is an unusual moment at the roll call with the SSR officers leaving, and a truck of American soldiers arriving. Isabel and uh, Michelin are going to be freed, along with all of the other people. In Carrie though, Vianne worries about whether or not Isabel is still alive, because they've been searching for weeks. They know that camps are being liberated, liberated, but there's no word from her or about her. Antoine and the kids try to cheer her up with like a little show and song that they did for her. It's okay. Uh, I just know where this is going and I don't think I can look at you while you're saying it. (laughs) And then two men show up and they are there to take Ari to family in America where he has Jewish relatives but he has definitely become family to them and they are also the only parents that he knows and Sophie's like the only sister he knows and these men tell her that Vian can't even stay in touch that they hope that Ari will completely forget being a part of their family. <sighs> oh my gosh I'm gonna like sob. I can't look at
1: you. I know I'm so sorry I'm gonna like I'm literally like gonna shake sob. This is
0: the hardest freaking part of this book we Ah. have to edit we (laughs) can't we're like such hot messes (sighs) oh okay I don't even know what I said um they so they like aren't giving her any choice um and so she quickly like gathers up his things and then the only picture that she has of herself with Rachel to give to him and she goes to Daniel and gives him, like, the quickest explanation of who Rachel was. You know, I think she says something along the lines of, I, I wanted to tell you this when you were older. You had this amazing mom, and she had to go away, and, like, we took you on. And But she's also very careful about how she phrases things, knowing that he's going to be upset, but she just wants him. She's like, you have to go. And... Then they take him away. Uh, and okay. It, I'm I have sorry. a lot of thoughts. I
1: have a lot of thoughts. So, okay, go, go, go. And maybe this will help lighten it up a little bit. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> right, wrong, or indifferent, I, I feel like I, I understand what happened. And, like, it absolutely... Devastates my entire being that this is what happened and it's probably again a very true factual thing that happened to a lot of families that were probably hiding children and taking them on as their own. But there is one point um, where one of the men is, is just very like just very blunt about you are not a Jewish family and this is our next generation of Jews and they need to be raised in a Jewish household, not just taken to the synagogue when you remember or when it's convenient for you. And and so I do think that part of that is just preserving their history and their religion as shitty as it is to take them away from the people that have raised them and loved them for so long. And so I, I feel like I, I understand where maybe that came from but it just absolutely <laughs> devastates me. <laughs> it devastates me so badly. It, and I just, I mean, I do wonder though, like, again, like where did Kristen Hannah find out this? I, I this is something I never was taught for sure. I, I never even, to be honest, I never thought about it. I never thought about what surviving children had to go through then to be relocated with further family members, you know? just Mm -hmm. to preserve their religion and their history. I never even considered that. So where did she, who who were the real people that had to go through this? I would love to know.
0: Well, I may have one that I'm going to talk about at the end of this, but not not related to a child, but that did, no, I think that's a really good point. Like, that's not really, maybe it is in like European history classes, but definitely here, I feel like, we kind of say, oh, and World War II happened, and it was extremely horrific, and yeah, but no one ever talks about the stories of these kids, and like, I'm sure that there were children living under false identities somewhere, and like, did they ever find out what happened to them would be really interesting to know yeah those
1: stories and I feel like if this is another component I mean that we've talked about before where like you don't really hear about the the after like world war one okay it happened the world the war happened it sucked a lot of people died life goes on and then world war two happened and we know that like at least from the American perspective like we're these awesome liberators of these holocaust camps and like go USA but you don't hear about the after necessarily. You don't know what happened. I mean, there were Jews being sent to America to visit with family or like be reunited with living family. And I feel like we just don't hear about those types of stories in our, in our history books by any means. Yeah. Unless, unless we do. And I just did not hear it at that time. Cause I was a naive 16 year old.
0: <laughs> Although that could have been me too. I was going to say like that you only really hear those stories from the people that were if you by chance happen to meet someone who was directly affected or has right. family that was affected. Um or when like someone dies and then someone writes an article about that person and then they talk about it later right. on. So or they
1: have a random, you know, kind of alluding to the story uh, a reunion or, you know, some sort yeah. of, of gathering where they're honoring or whatever the ceremony situation might be where they're recognizing someone for their past accomplishments. But yes, otherwise, it's very, I mean, it's very circumstantial that you have to kind of know the right person or happen to meet the right person in order to hear some
0: of these stories. Yeah. Chapter 30. I yeah, made stop crying. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> well, you might <laughs> cry again because I was, like I said. I literally wrote my notes. I am going to cry, as in, like, I was already crying as I was writing this. <laughs> Isabel and Michelin get to Paris, and Isabel is headed to Caribou to get to Vienne. She says goodbye to Michelin and she, like, starts talking about herself in the past tense. I don't know if this is because she knows how sick she is, or she sort of alludes to it being that she's just not who she once was but I feel like there's more to
1: that I just I wonder I mean to your point I I do wonder if like maybe her body knows that she is this sick
0: she's not going to see Michelin again yes. and I feel like she knows that yes for sure when she gets to Carrieville Vienna is there to greet her and take her home And Vian tries to care for her, but, like, she's just, (laughs) she's so sick. They both try to do this, have these apologies with one another, but each one cuts each other off. Um, There's nothing that, like, either one needs to apologize for, and they both realize that now. Yeah, and I think they both also realize, like, how
1: they've already forgiven each other for anything that happened in the past, too. like. when they were kids and everything like it's it's done water under the bridge let's move on
0: (laughs) getting sicker and sicker Isabel can barely tell like what's real and what's not she's always sort of remembering or thinking back to what was happening in the camp she also worries that Gaetan won't know where to find her or (laughs) she worries that he won't think she's beautiful anymore and Van reassures her that he knows where her home is. Oh. Together, Van and Isabel finally read the letter that their father left. And it's an apology asking for their forgiveness and letting them know how much he loved them. A week later, Isabel is sitting in the backyard covered with blankets. Because despite the fact that it's quite hot out, she is just chilled. And can't get warm. The end comes out to tell her that someone is there to see her and it's Gaito. And she cries as they're being reunited, thinking about all that they've gone through but still loved each other. She tells him she loves him and he finally says it back. Because if we remember, he hasn't. Yes. And she thinks about how she's been loved by so many people before she looks at VN while trying to say, quote, don't forget me to all of them. Uh, I'm surprised I got through that. But dang it, I freaking did it. You did a good job. It's because you
1: um you did a summary and not the. <laughs> you didn't have to reread it
0: again to write the summary. <laughs> if I literally open my book, I think I'll cry.
1: <laughs> Doesn't even um, matter what page it is. You'll just start
0: crying. <laughs> uh, it's just so like she held
1: on. I know. I just love that. I love and I love that like. Because all throughout the book, um, they had, you know, like you said, not said I love you or he had not said I love you. But they always talked um, because I think there was one point maybe while she was recovering from her battle wound um, that they kept saying like, oh, when the war is over, we'll do this like lovers do. Or, you know, we'll do this like like people are in love or whatever. And so I feel like we've always known that it's there from him. But to hear him like acknowledge it, say it out loud. It's so beautiful.
0: <laughs> I know it just it makes me so sad when like Vian is talking to her and it says, you know, Gaeton's gonna find you and you guys are gonna have this beautiful life and you're gonna have these babies and she's just like that would be really nice. Yeah. Like, I know.
1: Think, like, I, I do gonna- like I mean, all of that just makes me think that deep down she know she knew her her body, she knew something wasn't right. She knew she wasn't recovering. It's sad.
0: <laughs> it's so sad. Oh, and it's been God. one thing after another. And <laughs> chapter 39 for me was like a blur. Yeah. The, words, the words were actually blurry because I was just a sobbing mess.
1: I think while I was reading it personally, I literally said out loud, Are you kidding me? Because it was just like, it just kept going. I was like, How much sadness can one person endure?
0: <laughs> no. Final chapter, it is chapter 39, May, 1995. The woman has made it to Paris with her son and being in the city, she finally feels at home. So despite the fact that she's been in America now for, it sounds like the majority of her life, France is her real home. And so they decide to walk to the reunion event because she wants to just take it all in. And when it's finally time to get to the hotel, she hesitates, but knows that it's something she has to do. There are name tags laid out when she walks in, and she grabs her own and one that's just below. A woman says that everyone has been waiting for her, and they'd like for her to say something. As she walks to the podium, she sees three other men seated nearby. They have name tags in front of them, and one of them is a nook. And then she begins to talk about her sister, Isabel. And we now know that the woman is Vian. So she talks about like her personality and at the beginning of the war, how she let everyone believe the worst in her just so that she could do something important and keep them all safe. Vian also looks down at the other name tag in her hand, one for Sophie Marriac. Who passed away from cancer? So she went on and then died after a battle of cancer. She continues her speech about Isabel and how she didn't learn about everything Isabel had done until she'd gotten home after being in the camp. She'd learned about how her father, Isabel, and their friends ran the Nightingale route. And she tells the crowd how Isabel had said to her, quote, "My life, it's enough." end quote. Vien talks about being so grateful for all of the people that are remembering her life and in, in the room, some of them being the airmen and or families that she had saved. Afterwards, many people want to speak with Vien, including Julian, her son, who is like, what on She's earth? Like, what what? <laughs> um, she hasn't told him
1: anything, right? Yeah. I mean, she was like, i'll tell you i'll tell you and then like didn't tell him on the plane didn't tell him when they landed hasn't nothing. said anything
0: yeah nothing so he's just standing there jaw on the floor mm-hmm. another man approaches her and it's guy tom this <laughs> this like breaks me he <laughs> wants to introduce fian to his daughter named isabel and okay. he tells me i
1: Maybe you. this can't oh, be a movie because I'll just cry the whole movie.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> oh, jeez. Thank God Robert. that we're not posting videos.
0: We <laughs> have no video podcast. Watch two girls cry.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay. Um, Julian is, like, starting to question Vian about all of this Obviously, like how could she not say something for so many years? And Vienn tells him that, like, as a woman after the war, they just had to move on. And so I just put in this full quote. It says, "We did, we did what we had to do during the war, and when it was over, we w- we picked up the pieces and started our lives over." End quote. Um, which she also talks about how like it's very different from men after the war but like women had their own battles and things going on and had to move on another man approaches them and this time it's ari
1: i can't i can't i can't oh god okay
0: (sighs) he says he never forgot her or sophie and has been looking for them for years
1: I love that <laughs> oh, geez louise okay
0: ari tells julian how Vian saved him and 19 other jewish children and because she's also kind of left that out he's like holy julian singing holy cow i have his aunt you didn't even tell me about her and all that she did but she never mentions, of course what she did so she finally says she's quote a nightingale in my own way oh.
1: And she really is. Her last name really is (laughs) Rosignol.
0: I think she sounds like I am a Rosignol too. Yeah. (laughs) And Julian asks if their father knew and if she's going to tell him, being Julian, everything. And she's going to tell him most of it, but there's one secret she plans to keep. So I think... As a
1: listener and/or reader, you can put the pieces together and figure out where Julian came from because well, he Antoine is. ain't the dad. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah,
0: that was it. That was the book. <laughs> <laughs> that was <about> the end. <laughs> and if you read it, you were like us and literally couldn't function for the rest of your day uh. when you finished that um th- like <laughs> i just i will say like
1: i just freaking love that ari found them like god damn it's it gonna make my voice crack again but like i just love that he was like they wanted me to forget you they wanted yeah. me to pretend like you weren't my mom but like you're my mom you freaking saved me and i'm just like this is so beautiful <laughs>
0: Sorry. <laughs> don't spit out your drink. <laughs> no, I like that to me was like so perfect that he was there. I like love that guyton, named his daughter Isabel and also came there to like tell the end that yes, oh, it is just it, I don't know. it's so heartbreaking. You had asked me at one point, there was I can't remember if it was the last episode or the one before. There was something I had wanted to say and I was like, I don't want to give away who that yes, last the episode I think. Yeah. Okay. So for me, like figuring out VN was if you think back to one of the earlier chapters when she says she's thinking about the man she killed and the one she shouldn't have. To me, that was always that was like the indicator that it was VN that she oh. should have killed. Von Richter and like Beck shouldn't have died. Yeah. Even though she didn't technically kill Beck. That's obviously like a weight that she carried with her for so long was um his death. And you know, he had treated them well. So the thing is though,
1: I just it makes me then wonder, like, okay, so say if Beck had been alive, A. We don't know if Julian would have come into existence, but B, I mean, the sexual tension between the two of them, he might have still, and it, but it, it would have been more of a consenting relationship than a forced, abusive, disgusting, you know, he's just trying to get his thrills with the the local French woman that he's basically holding hostage kind of situation.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and that probably would have complicated things too, because there was some semblance of real feelings there, Mm -hmm. mutually. And And I wonder, you know,
1: I'd be curious to see that play out. Like Antoine coming home, but Beck is, like, still there?
0: Like, what? Awkward. Um, On a happier note, I did some very brief research, like very, very brief research into who this could possibly, or who one of the characters could be about. And I think that it's pretty safe to say that this woman in all likelihood, at least somewhat was an inspiration for the novel. I don't know. I didn't talk to Chris and Hannah about it personally, (laughs) but I feel like it's a pretty safe assumption. So, um, most of my information is pulled from wikipedia <clears throat> because i will not pay for the new york times to let me read the article but i will link it for anyone who does subscribe in that matter and i will also link wikipedia for the rest of the world <laughs> <laughs> so um i'm also going to butcher this name but andre de Jean. Okay, was a member of the Belgian resistance in World War II. She led the Comet Line, which is probably not pronounced Comet, but gosh dang it, that's how it is spelled (laughs) in English, so Comet it is. So she led the Comet Line, which assisted Allied soldiers and airmen out of Belgium into neutral Spain so that they could get back to the UK. She helped 118 people, including 80 airmen, before she was captured and imprisoned in 1943. She did survive, and actually, unlike Isabel, lived to be 90 years old until she passed away in 2007. Wow. So she was
1: also sent to a concentration camp after her arrest? Yep. Wow.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know who inspired the other stories, but I thought that that was like a nice little tidbit of information and a bit of a happier um, ending for this story. That's crazy. So I, I guess
1: I didn't realize that Spain was also neutral because I think was it is it Swiss, Switzerland or Sweden Switzerland. is usually the like neutral. Country yeah, everyone, or whatever.
0: Like, I'm Switzerland. Can that yes.
1: Yes. And so I didn't realize that Spain was also neutral, which then makes me wonder, um you know, during all of their passing from the mountains into Spain, it sounded like they had to like creep and crawl and like avoid their soldiers.
0: Yeah. I, so I don't know enough about that, but no, I agree with you because I noticed that too. It makes me wonder if they were maybe neutral in World War II, but individually didn't have the best situation going on. I don't know. Good point. Good point. That was said in the book was hey, you don't want to avoid the German only to end up in a Spanish prison. Right. And they would always have to get to the British consulate to get back. So, yeah. Huh. I don't know. I don't know enough about Spain's history and government. Right. But that's kind of those are my inferences. <laughs> yeah, no, I think those are those are exactly what
1: I was thinking as well I just I was curious if um if maybe they were just more like border patrol specific because they're like well I don't want to I don't want to start something with Germany because I'm like letting people in kind of situation too
0: also true like that I'm sure that wouldn't have been great and they're probably Protecting their own borders, thinking that, wow, if they're invading these other countries, the last thing we want is for them to come here, too. Right. I, mm.
1: But now it makes me curious if Spain was an ally. Sounds like they weren't. They were just neutral. They just did their own thing. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I need to clearly reread about World War Two. <laughs>
0: same but I'm gonna need to take a second before I do because this book destroyed me yeah
1: there's just way too much tragedy and it just I like I hate to say this because this is a parallel I don't want to make but I just wonder how much is going to come out after the war with Ukraine ends and we find out like all of the devastate because I wanted to come in and be like oh you know as much as this was absolutely terrible we'll never see something like this again and I feel like we are like literally in the middle of it it's just not happening on our soil it's of course happening with our European allies so yikes (laughs) this is happening all
0: over again history repeats itself in a very shitty not fun way. I know. And it, despite the fact that, obviously, technology and social media has given us some of a glimpse into that, where you wouldn't have had that in World War II, obviously, I still feel like there's always stuff that comes out after the fact oh, that sure. is you didn't know about. and
1: Especially about prisoners of war, especially about, you know, if they were raping women and children or like whatever the situation might be. If if God forbid they established their own concentration camps that they were taking people to, like all of that's gonna come out after the fact, which I don't think I want to hear it, but we'll have to know one way or another. Unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Um all right. Well <laughs>
1: well, well, thoughts, feelings, reviews. <laughs> Do you want to go for your studio? Me too. Um, why don't you? Because you are the, the expert of this particular novel, having read it four times now.
0: <laughs> yeah, so you think I could probably come up with better words, but as I told you earlier, I literally wrote this while crying. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I've read it multiple times, and you might wonder, like, why <laughs> when it's so heartbreaking? But I don't know. I... I guess I appreciate, like also the beauty in such a tragic story. Um, I think it's really incredible how it brings attention to the heroic the heroic efforts of women during World War II and like the different types of bravery that can be shown. Um I really like how it depicts the different relationships and especially each sister's like own strengths and their willingness to survive to protect everyone and everything that they care about. It's a very complicated time and, and an incredibly complicated story especially at the end. Um but I think that all of the history and the truths that are really woven throughout are are important to continue to like stay educated about and to discuss because of things that can transpire. I think knowing your history is important despite how hard and uncomfortable that can be. Um, I think we even see that today, like in America, there are a lot of people that don't like to talk about certain pieces of American history. And I'm like, well, you have to talk about it. You can't just like shove it under the rug. It's important to talk about those things just because it makes you uncomfortable. But so it is a tragic story and it's a tragic piece of history, but it's like such a memorable book for me. And like I said, I think that there's also a lot of beauty that you can find in it and it's good to look for those. So it's a five out of five for me and I'll probably (laughs) read it again in like two or three years once I've recovered.
1: (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. No, I think that's extremely well said, especially it, it just relative to our American history too. Like you have to acknowledge and sometimes even apologize for the things of the past. You can't just brush it off and hope that it goes away because it won't. I mean, as much as history is history and and it can haunt you. And I think that it's important to bring it to the surface so that it doesn't have to be a huge weight on your shoulders either. You know, like just say what happened say what that it was wrong or right or whatever the case may be and then learn from it or you know do other actions whatever you need to do in order to continue moving forward and making the world a better place (laughs) okay so I said (laughs) I am one of those people that can only read something like this once (laughs) and it's not because I don't like it because I loved it but I cannot read and reread such intense sadness like this like it is just it crushed me like I, I thought that I was mentally prepared going in because I've read and I love I do love the history of World War II like as I don't know cryptic as that sounds I just feel like it's such an interesting historical moment for us as well and especially being an American, not a lot happened in American territory. So I think it's interesting and just, you know, continuing to learn about what happened in other countries. Um, but I just, I can't, I don't think I can do it again. <laughs> like, there was just way too much. I mean, it was just, like we've been saying, it's just one thing after another. And you're like, when is this spiral of tragedy going to end? <laughs> I I definitely thought it was beautiful. I love what you said about the sisters and to me, especially it makes it just seem like they were so selfless the, the fact that they wanted to protect basically everyone but themselves, they were willing to sacrifice themselves to keep everyone around them safe and as far from harm as they possibly could. Um, and to me, I just, I felt like this book especially was kind of in that same vein of, The Tattooist of Auschwitz. I don't know if you've read that one. Or Night by Eli Eli Weissel. I don't know if I butchered that name. My bad. But this, I mean, those two books are very specifically about the Holocaust, whereas this one is not. This one's truly just about surviving basically in your occupied country. (laughs) But I mean, obviously, it does have some Holocaust shit that goes down to. But I just, I feel like. It's just—it's very unfathomable, uncomfortable. It's unreal, but it all just like very, very, very likely happened. And again, like you just had this direct story of a woman who literally did this, and so I just think it's—it's it's five stars, but it's so sad, and I cannot read it again. <laughs> and I'm sorry that was like a really long random tangent. I hope it all made sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. Okay. Um. Kristen Hanna is obviously a very well known author. Um, I'm trying to think of what's the, oh, Firefly Lane is also like a Netflix series. So you can watch that, read the book. She has a list of many, many other books like Homefront. um, I'm trying to look at some of the ones that's like really stand out on Mystic Lake. Winter Garden, Night Road, those are some of the ones that I know I have seen. Um, oh, she also had The Four Winds, and I want to say The Great Alone, that's another one. Uh, the Four Winds, I feel like, so I haven't read it, and I might be saying the wrong book, but I don't Is this the one that your friend told you about? Yes. Okay, yeah. And she th- she, that was the one that she said was like, even more sad than this one, which I don't know how that's possible. How, <laughs> how that could happen. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, but obviously very, like, talented and well-known writer. So, if you want to read more Chris and Hannah, there are many options and, you know, different time periods and things to check out. So, if you want to learn different parts of history. She's probably got a book for you. Yeah, I love that she's such a historian
1: and an author. I mean, that's just, it's so cool to bring both of those things together and be able to tell a, a beautiful, tragic story while also being very historically accurate.
0: Yeah, yeah, good, good on you. I can see why that would take a really long time to put together. Yes, <laughs> and also really do hope she travels to all of these places to really
1: immerse herself in the culture and the happenings because... Have oh, you ever I been here?
0: have you ever been to a concentration camp like one over because no
1: know who, that was it was, was part of our hopeful trip to Europe that was supposed to go down in 2020 and then that did not happen so I would like to go I when I lived in France I don't think we ever went um understandably so I think my parents are probably like you're too little They're to good. understand yeah. this <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I saw a lot of castles, but no concentration
0: camps. (laughs) Yeah, I have not been either, but I've heard it's um, very moving. Yes, I would love to go.
1: I have been um, to the museum, the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., which is also extremely moving. I would actually love to go back with another perspective just because I feel like I'm older now than when I went last, so I'd probably have a different appreciation or understanding or sympathy, empathy, whatever the case may be. So that is something a little closer to home, I guess, that I would definitely like to see again. It is, I've been there as well.
0: All right, well, we're not, actually, I don't know because I haven't read it, but I don't think we're reading something quite as depressing coming up. Um.
1: You know, I was just trying to read the summary of it. I don't think it's gonna be that depressing. There might be like a little bit of sadness, I'm sure, because okay. like, uh, for sure, I know that like his wife is dead. But that's, that's all right. I know. <laughs> I don't know if it says why or how. <laughs> so, well, what is it? What are we oh, uh, it's a man called Ove. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot to say that. A man called Ove uh, recently turned into a major motion picture starring the one and only Tom Hanks. Yeah, do you know um, why they change it to Otto? I have heard that it just makes it more American. <laughs> um, lame. I don't know that there's like a real reason. So, yes, A Man Called Otto is the American picture release. A Man Called Ove is the book we will be reading.
0: Okay, well, the quote from the top of my book from People says, <clears throat> You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll feel new sympathy for the curmudgeons in your life. Yes. Hopefully more laughing than crying. Agree. I also see like one of the
1: very first synopsis pieces on the back is, um, quote, at first sight, Ove is almost certainly the grumpiest man you will ever meet. A curmudgeon with staunch principles, strict routines, and a short fuse. People think him bitter, and he thinks himself surrounded by idiots. End I mean, quote. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. Either way, heading in a different direction, not going to be as sad, dark, and depressing. And probably going to be a while before we go down that path again. Yep. Um, <laughs> at least on the pod. I can't say I won't do it on my own. But, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh-uh at least for the pot, and you know i need to check what's coming up after that but like i feel like i need a little murder or
1: like i feel like we had let me pull it up i feel like we had something happy (laughs) 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 maybe um i just looked at this because i was also like what are we reading next we will have oh the invisible life of addie larue so, kind of a fantasy esque novel. Oh, that's going to be different for you. Yes, I, yes. I, this is, you've read it before, correct? Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I have not. <laughs> so, yeah. that'll be our next one. And then we'll go into a rom com following that called People We Meet on Vacation. So, oh,
0: got a little Emily Henry. She'll make us laugh.
1: Yes, yes. Got a little bit of. Uh, just different, different vibes, different genres going on. So
0: button turn it up. All right. Minutes. I'll be back <laughs> next week. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Music for this podcast was created by Remington Haynes. Join the conversation by emailing us at narrativesandnightcaps at gmail.com or visit our website, narrativesandnightcaps.com. Until next time, we hope you're enjoying a wonderful narrative.